Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Today, you're in for a very special show today. Uh, yes, we have this fantastic guest by the name of Mark Shaken. He is the author of Fresh Start, a legal thriller, and just like that, essays on a life before, during, and after the law. He is a survivor of a decades-long career in corporate bio, in the corporate bankruptcy trenches. He holds his BA degree from Haverford College and received his JD from Washburn University. He is a graduate of the Colorado Business. He is a graduate of the Colorado Business Committee for the Arts Leadership Arts Program. He holds seats on the boards and sits on Habitat for Humanity, Metro Denver's Finance and Audit Committee. He now measures his life not by what he takes, but by what he gives, and he enjoys that immensely. Mark has started his next book, Automatic Stay, a legal thriller as well. He lives in Denver with his spouse and his dog, Emily. Welcome, Mark. It's good to be here. Mark, you changed, I'd say, 180 degrees, but it might have been more than that. It <laughs> might have been many, many degrees. What caused you to take a big change like that? I, I was one of those people who went to law school, not because I'd always wanted to be a lawyer or had decided I wanted to be a lawyer as I was uh, a senior in college, but because I couldn't figure out what to do. And I thought that going to law school would kick the can of the career can down the road a little bit and give me three more years to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Um, And those three years went by quick and found myself as a senior in law school and having not much better of an idea what to do with my life. And, um, And then sort of fate hit. There was a in those days, there was no internet or computers that we all had. So there was a three by five card that went up at the placement office and a local bankruptcy judge was looking for uh, a law clerk, um, a position that would have been two years in those days. Um, And the law clerk's job is to learn the bankruptcy code and then pretty much do whatever the judge wants you to do, which is typically research and writing. So I went over and interviewed. I loved the judge. He liked me. I took the job and Then the next 38 years went by in a blur um, where I uh, finished my clerkship and then became a a bankruptcy lawyer at a large firm uh, in Kansas City. And, um, you know, I I went in and out of midlife crises, I'd have to say, um, always questioning, is this really what I want to do with my life? And when you do that, and not, not every lawyer does that, but a bunch of them do, when you do that, you start to to wonder whether there is anything else you can do because you're trained to be a lawyer, not anything else. So I spent a substantial amount of time stuck on that one point. Well, what else could I do? And eventually, um, eventually for me was almost four decades, but eventually 
I came uh, to, to believe that there isn't just one thing I could do with my life. There were many things, and I was uh, ready to try to do things that in some small way would help others. Um, so I ultimately got the, the strength up to leave the practice of law one, one uh, cold winter day in, in Denver and move, and move into all the other things that, that I was hoping to do, serving on uh, nonprofit boards that help inner city kids Habitat, you know, putting families into homes, which is so, so important. Um, and writing. Um, writing is something that I had always wanted to do. Um, and it's turned out that part was correct. That is something I want to do and continue to do. Excellent. Excellent. So you found your passion. Found now, it. They, they say writing isn't difficult. All you have to do is slit your wrists and bleed. Is that your experience? On some days, writing is a chore. Um, on other days, it, it is remarkable how you find yourself sitting at your computer and look down at your watch and you've been there for, for over four hours and it's just coming out. Um, my, my, what I've learned about myself is the best way for me to write is to sort of book appointments with myself and sit there. And if I only come up with 10 words, then so be it. And um, other days... And the appointments are minimum appointments. So if, if it's flowing, then I'll just stay there. But for me, being regular at the at the whole process is important. Um, that may be the the law training um, coming to the surface a little bit, um, setting deadlines, meeting calendar appointments, those kinds of things. Yeah, that's good. Now, you decided on a, a genre which is different than most. You, you decided not on, on fact books, but fiction books, and, and to make them legal thrillers. How did you happen chance on that? Yeah, kind of write what you know. Um, not that every case I had was a thriller by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think that's what the practice of law involves, thrillers from day to day. Um, so the books are bankruptcy law driven, um, which makes it even odder, perhaps. If you search Amazon, there really aren't any other bankruptcy thrillers that you'll find. Now, there may be a really good reason for that. No one would want to read a bankruptcy thriller. Um, or it may be that it's just one of those slices of the, the, the world of the law um, that hasn't found somebody yet before me to sit down and write you know, fictional um, bankruptcy books. The problem is, after you know going to court for thirty eight years, I have to balance what I want to say that's um, correct, accurate, authentic um, with how much a reader would really want to listen to all, all this bankruptcy stuff and sort of um, make sure that i'm I'm not writing it too technical or nobody's going to want to read it. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's certainly a balance you have to strike. Do you have somebody proofread your books or read them before you send them out? Because, of course, the difficulty is when you're reading things, you get into a like blinders on and and you see things a certain way, but it's not necessarily something the consumer would want. A hundred percent accurate. Um, and I do have um, I do have an editor and a book designer that I, I love and I keep going back to. Um, the first two books I wrote, I wrote while I was practicing law. Um, they were not fiction. They were textbooks about bankruptcy law. 
And I was spoiled because I had a real publishing company, Aspen Publishing. And, you know, all I had to do was write, research and write, and then they do all the editing and take care of marketing. And it was uh, surprisingly simple to do. When I started to write after I um, retired from the law, um, I decided I was going to self-publish. It, it's There's many fewer publishing companies these days, and um, I'm not you know, well-known like John Grisham. And so getting before a publisher, you know, I could be 90 years old before that happened. And so I, I, I came upon the idea of self-publishing and learned out how to do that, which means you need to have an editor and a book designer and somebody to format the book. And the couple that I've uh, been using are in London of all things. And so, yes, and Rebecca, the editor, my editor is is wonderful about saying too technical and putting an X through it. So that's great. That's why I, I want her to help. The The funny part of the editor being in London is, you know, she wants to use the Oxford English Dictionary and I want to use the Merriam uh, Webster American Dictionary and there are differences. And so we have we have across the pond discussions of, well, that's great, except that's not how we say things. You know, that, that's not how we say that phrase here in America. <laughs> so. Yeah, it is difficult. Uh, you know, the English, the Queen's English is quite different than North American English. And exactly. Yeah. Quite different. Uh, I, I remember once I was in Florida and I was there and I met a, a young boy. We were talking and I said, what floor do you live on? He said, I don't live on a floor. I live on a, you know, I live on a, in an apartment building and it, it's not how we refer to things. He was very aghast how I was referring to such a vernacular in such a common way, you know, uh, you know, certainly the, the Queen's English is quite different. It is in many respects. It's very admirable, but it isn't how the words come out of somebody's mouth who lives in New York City. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go into one of your books. And I, I'd like to go into the plot line of Fresh Start. But let's go into that book and go into that in some more detail for you. Sure. Um, so it's set in Kansas City, Missouri, also a little unusual because it's not a common place for you know mysteries or thrillers to be set. But we lived there for so many decades and truly loved it that I decided to set it in Kansas City. The debtor, the one who owes the money, is a developer of skyscrapers throughout the United States. And there's a banker that's chasing him for payment. Um, and this banker believes that the debtor, whose name is Witherman, so the banker believes that Witherman's hiding assets, but she can't prove it. So her quest is to is to take Witherman down by proving that he's hiding assets. And Witherman hires the bankruptcy department in the Green Madison Law Firm in Kansas City, and our hero uh, lawyer is uh, Josephina Jillian Jones, nicknamed 3J to her friends. Um, the book is written from two points of view, third person, um, so traditional, and then first person. So there are chapters in which you're, the reader is learning uh, what's going on from Quincy Witherman's perspective, the, the debtor. Um, and um, <clears throat> And the the plot line of the book is is that Witherman is in fact hiding assets from his lawyer 3J from the bankruptcy court from the banks of course and from the IRS, um, and the question is 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 he going to be caught or not and how, 
Um, one of the reviewers for the book described it as the collision of two unscrupulous, unscrupulous characters. That would be the banker and Witherman. And that's a really good description of how the, the book uh, sort of plays out. It's very interesting. And I'm sure some of our listeners now are, are already getting their, their hankers up and saying, Oh my goodness, it sounds like something I might want to get into is, is certainly not what I thought a legal thriller about this sort of stuff would be about, but it might be something that's good. So will there be a series? Yeah, I just sent the second book uh, in the series off to uh, Rebecca Brown. The, her company is designed for writers and, um, and her husband is going to design the cover again for me. So I finished the second book called Automatic Stay. It's again, the 3J is back with her law partner and the same judge will will show up and the same private investigator will show up in the book. Um, the, the new debtor um, is a husband and wife that own jazz clubs in Kansas city. And um, in the new book uh, they, they filed chapter 11 bankruptcy cases because they survived the pandemic, um, but they couldn't get much beyond that. So they filed for protection um, at some, uh, at some point as we're coming out of the pandemic someday and um, they uh, they only define that there is an anonymous uh, person uh, posting bad things about them on the uh, social media and trying to take them down in bankruptcy. And um, the plot line is, will they will the will they be able to figure out who this is and stop them from posting before the, the clubs go out of business? Who are the characters? Uh, are they defined by race or age or things like that? Well, the main character, uh, 3J, is an African-American bankruptcy lawyer at, at this fictional big law firm in Kansas City. Um, and um, a fair question that I've been asked, because I'm not African-American and I'm not a woman, is why a woman and why African-American? And to me, um, my life path has led me to want to reflect the diversity in the United States. Um, I don't write the 3J character from the perspective of what it's like to be a black woman professional because I'm not, and I couldn't really ever authentically walk in those particular shoes. Um, and I want to you know, respect that and acknowledge it, but I do want the books to reflect um, as much diversity as I can create in my, in my fictional characters, because that's important to me. Uh, and I don't want the characters to all look like me and sound like me and have people say, Oh, I can see you in that character because then all my characters would be older white men. And that wouldn't be um, what I'm hoping to reflect in the books. Um, The judge is uh, an interesting character. He's new to the bench um, and and you get to see him develop some uh, a confidence in, in being on the bench um, you know, maybe um, step into his own uh, shoes and get his chops on, on the bench of making decisions. Um, the private eye is actually in New York City and has a little rat terrier dog named Emily, so much like our dog. So I can have those two characters um, repeat. And then uh, 3J's mentor at the law firm is a, a Western Kansas farmer turned lawyer um, named uh, William Pascal. And he, he likes to, uh, he's interested in Wild West history, American history. And so he occasionally will wax poetic about something um, that's kind of cowboy-like. 
your rates, writing styles that you write uh, from the first person and you take it from the point of view of the bad guy. Is that not right? Yeah. You get into the bad guy's head, which has been a fun writing um, uh, endeavor for me because I don't really think I'm a bad guy. So I have to project myself into this character and I don't have any acting training. So I don't have character acting um, training in order to know how to exactly do that. And my wife would say that she'll walk by me and I'm talking to the computer sometimes to hear how it might sound if, if the bad guy was actually the one speaking. Um, But it is, it is a fun perspective. People seem to have liked that, that, um, type of um, dual writing from third person and first person in the book. That's fascinating. Now, now, so you, when did you start on, on writing the Fresh Start for the first time? Yeah, Fresh Start took me about six months to write, and then there's a good four-month to six-month process of getting it edited and designed and formatted and then published. Yeah. Um, and I don't exactly remember when I started, but I think I started in, in just as lockdown was starting here in Denver. So it actually gave me a lot of things to do besides all the things I was doing before the pandemic. So that would have been mid-March 2020. And I would have finished, I know I finished the weekend after Labor Day. So September, 2020. Um, The new book I wrote in three months. So either I'm getting better or it's a better plot or or who knows what, but um, that one, that one, once it started, it just, it just came out. Well, well, I've always been a big believer. There's no good writing. There's only good rewriting and, and that the writing process itself is, is part of it, but the rewriting process is even more important than the writing process because that's when your words really take and get to the fire and really get to the element of things. And and without the rewriting process, the writing process is useless. Yeah, I've told, I completely agree. I've told several people who have said, oh, so now you're a writer. I said, no, I'm kind of an editor. <laughs> I, I write it, but I spend way more time than going back over it. And as you said, rewriting it or editing it um, over and over again, it helps tighten it up. You know, tightening the story is important. It lets me make sure that, things I'm saying on page 300 are consistent with things I said on page 20, which is important. Um, and I'm not the greatest typer in the world. So it, it does help me with the, um, just the physical editing process, the, the proofreading and things like that. And editing takes many forms. First, there's the structural editing where you make sure the spelling's correct. Then there's the whole thing of, of looking at it from a bird's eye view and making sure everything syncs together at the end, where the beginning and the end all sync together. And that's a whole different type of editing than just the, the structural uh, nuts and bolts, uh, correct spelling editing. Correct. Absolutely. So I try to get it in a, as good a form as I can do. Um, myself before I send it off to Rebecca, um, not to make her job easier, but it, it just makes it a much smoother process to have spent substantial time with it after you've written the first draft before you send it off to the editor. Yeah, well, I, I, I think I know what I talk about. When I was a cosmetic doctor, I had written 17 textbooks mm-hmm. and books, mm-hmm. and 
since I retired, I've written three best-selling books, which has been a, a, a chore in itself, but again, something that is rather difficult. Now, there's a whole different aspect of this, and that's not just writing them and editing them. It's getting these on the best-selling list and getting these out there so people are popular. That's another job unto itself. That That is a complete learning experience because I alluded to the fact that I was spoiled for the first two books I wrote because I had a publishing company doing all that for me and doing a good job. Um, I'm uh, learning trial by fire. What works, what doesn't. Um, there's a lot of things I've learned that don't work great, or I'm not doing them correctly, so they're not working. Um, and then there's a the whole social media thing, which to be truthful, uh, before I started all of this writing, I wasn't on Facebook. I had an account, but I wasn't doing anything with it. I wasn't on Twitter at all. I'm still a little confused as to what the point of Twitter is. But if you're trying to reach especially the, the, the 20 somethings and 30 somethings audience, that's where they are. And so I have to learn all of that. And slowly I am, there are things that work, that things that don't work on social. Um, uh, But I am, I'm enjoying the learning experience. It is, it's a, you're not done when you finish the book and publish it. You're just starting. It is a mountain to do it and, and to do it. And you have to enjoy the process there too. You have to enjoy being on interviews like this. You have to be in out there and you have to enjoy sharing your wealth of information. Otherwise it doesn't become useful either. Yeah. The, the, the podcast interview I, I've been loving. This is, I think the 18th I've done um, for the two books. Um, it's, it's, it's a different animal because lawyers are, especially if you're a courtroom lawyer, you're pretty used to public speaking. What you're not used to is talking about yourself. You don't, talk about yourself in court, you talk about your client or the other client on the other side of the case. Um, So the whole idea that now I'm public speaking, which is fine about myself, which is different, is something to get used to for sure. Yeah. I I think that's part of it too. And I, you know, the social media animal, I call it is, is, is an animal because not only you have to do it, but you have to be on it regularly. You have to do things in a certain way. And uh, you also have to uh, get the response of people on it in order to be successful. Right. It's not just a one-way communication channel. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that, that is a different, a different animal too. And social media is good and bad because uh as you know uh social media when it works for you it works for you and when it works in you it works again you it, it it can be unforgiving for sure mostly for me though it's 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 either neutral in that i, I no one cared what my post was or um, mostly positive um i have you know it's not me posting rants and raids rages um which is the part of social media that that uh scares me. Um, uh, but, you know, there's a ton of books published every, every week in the world, a ton. And when I moved from the first book, which was categorized as a legal memoir, so there's not a lot of those, um, to a legal thriller where there's tens and tens and tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of those books, um, it's a pretty competitive space. Yeah, that, that is a competitive space. And uh, it certainly is something that's, you know, there's 
probably a lot of people write, but there's very few that get up to the peak or pinnacle of that writing career. And that's always the difficulty in it. Yeah. If you could talk to your younger self, what would you give advice to your younger self? Yeah, that's a great question, given the the path I had as as a law career. Um, I think what I would tell my younger self is to to be a little less influenced by what other people tell you that you should be doing with your life. Um, when you're young, you have the some luxury to be able to explore other options and see what might work and what might not. And um, it's okay to do that. Um, not forever necessarily, but it, it's okay to use your teenage years and your early twenties, maybe to, to, to use that as the time to explore before you settle in on something that you're going to do. That, that's, that's a good one as well. And I think that's, that's rather important. And I think uh, you need to certainly spend your time uh, learning about what you want to do and then spend some time doing it. Another aspect of you is you're also a photographer. Uh, is that another thing that you, you tried to get good at? Uh, I started with photography. I remember this vividly when I was 15. Um, I'm colorblind. And so art scared the heck out of me. Um, I don't draw well and I don't deal with colors well. Um, and there was an art requirement uh, amazingly at this inner city uh, high school that I, I went to and I blew it off because it scared me, <clears throat> excuse me. And the, I got, that got me a trip to the vice principal's office who listened to my concerns and said, well, we have something that's great for you. There's a nonprofit organization that's coming into the school to teach black and white photography for a year. So you no, know, no color concerns, go take the class. And I took the class, the, I love the teacher, Mr. Martin, Frank Martin, I still remember his name. And he just sort of um, awakened my interest in doing something artistic, which turned out to be photography. Um, these days, it's mostly sports photography. Uh, I photographed Major League Soccer um, here in Denver. I did it when we were in Kansas City as well. And um, it, roaming the, the end line is great. I love it. It was spectacular to do that during... Um, the height of the pandemic, but there were no fans in the stands. It was a very interesting, odd experience. And, um, but it gave me some place to go and something to do outside of sitting at home. Um, and uh, that's what I, that's the main part of the photography that I do these days is sports photography. Interesting. Well, uh, congratulations on having two venues for your creativity because that. That is something that you need to keep going. Uh, being creative is, is a difficult thing, and keeping it going is a difficult thing. Well, Mark, we're getting close to our end. I always like to end this with two questions. Uh, Mark Shaken, how do you have a fantastic life? I've been lucky. Um, you know, I've uh, stumbled into a career that, that wasn't my passion, but it was a good career. And, um, and I was, I'm even luckier that I've been able to figure out other things to do now that I'm not going to court anymore. And so I do count myself as, as pretty lucky in both of those respects. Cool. How do you reckon, how would you recommend others should have a fantastic life? I think that 
that's a hard question to answer. Um, it, you know, there's not really a cookie cutter answer of what worked for me might work for someone else. But, but I, I do think that um, it's important to sort of get a hold of who, who you are, which took me a, you know, three decades to figure that out. Um, it's important to get your arms wrapped around of who you are. What, do, what is your passion? And, and reject the idea that there's only one thing that you can do in your life. Just reject that out of hand and spend your life testing whether where you are in life and what you're doing doing in life is, is what you want, where you want to be and what you want to do. Those are very, very, very good answers. Now, Mark, if you would like to uh, give some ways that people can get in touch with you, if they'd like to, uh, maybe how they can buy your book and maybe uh, some advice on how they could get to your website. Sure. The the website is Mark shaken Um, uh, on there, you can connect with me there. My email address is there and, and people should feel free to sign up for my occasional uh, uh, new, newsletter of information about the book or giveaways that I'm, that I've done um, uh, of the book. Uh, you can buy the book uh, on Amazon, Kindle uh, or print. Um, the Kindle edition is also Kindle unlimited. So if you're a subscriber to Kindle unlimited, the book's free to download and read. Um, and the, the book is out on Audible. So you can, if you're not a reader, but a listener of books, you can now listen to the book as of three weeks ago on uh, either Audible. You can get it on either audible.com or iTunes or uh, at Amazon. Fantastic, Mark. Well, thank you very much for being here today. And thank you for sharing your words of wisdom. Well, thank you very much for having me. This was much fun. Thank you for me as well. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have Mark Shaken. You can reach him at markshakenauthor.com. And uh, you can also look up his books on uh, amazon.com. And and one thing I would like you to do, if you've liked this show, please uh, say you've liked it and maybe pass this along to others so we can share this and grow uh, our listenership. Thank you very much. Have a fantastic day. Bye for now. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Leica's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day. Fantastic.